God uses His words to build up His church. Good morning, Church. Um, grace and peace to you, and Happy New Year. And thinking back of my years in WSBC, it is very hard to believe that it's our seventh year here in this church. Ever since the first service of WSBC, this has been a place for us to worship God. And as it is written on our bulletin that today is the 322nd service, um, I would assume that I was here for 300 of them. Or I will be honest to think that in these 300 Sundays, um, there are days when I question myself, why am I here? What am I doing here? What is the purpose of the gathering? Because I see all organizations have some kind of goals or purpose statements. Most companies desire to grow their business. So all their annual targets or decisions made are around how they can benefit their business. Even for nations, there are goals for leaders to set in the beginning of a year or five years um, to make sure that all things are working around or working together to achieve that target in long term. Therefore, these similar questions come to my mind sometimes when I come to church. What is the purpose or what is the North Star for God's church? What is the purpose of WSCBC and where are we heading to? Is there some kind of goal that we are, need to set to achieve for a church? So through today's passage from 1 Corinthians 14, I believe God speaks to us with an answer. For all his churches, he has a common purpose, that is to be built up, to be built up. And there's a particular way that he does that. It is using his words, using his words. So this is the main idea that we will be looking deeper into. God uses his words to build up his church. God uses his words to build up his church. We'll be looking at this main idea in three parts. The first part would be church's priority is to be built up. That's from verse 1 to verse 5. Church's priority is to be built up. The second point is the church, is the church is built up through understanding God's word. The church is built up through understanding God's word. That is from verse 6 to verse 19. And the third part of the main idea is the church is responsible for knowing God's word. The church is responsible for knowing God's word. That's from verse 20 to 25. So if you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 to 25. We'll be reading through 1 to 25 altogether. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to man, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to you to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speaks in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling onto his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So chapter 14 is actually a bigger topic that Paul began since chapter 12, addressing the issue of spiritual gifts within the church. And from chapter 12 to 14, you can see Paul is making a transition from a high-level theological perspective to a more specific practice addressed to the church. If you remember, chapter 12 talks about how each member of different spiritual gifts, that they belong to one body. And since all members belong to one body, no one can say that they are more important than the other. All members with all different spiritual gifts are important for the body. 
Now, chapter 13 is a famous chapter about love. It is a reminder that love is the essential element of all spiritual gifts. Without love, no matter what gift you practice, it produces no value. Now, as we come to chapter 14, we can see that Paul is bringing this topic to a more practical level. He is now addressing specific issues within the church regarding specific gifts that the church was practicing, which are prophecy and tongues. And the reason for Paul to address these two gifts uh, is that these gifts mentioned by Corinthians uh, were mentioned by Corinthians in their previously exchanged letters. It is very likely that speaking in tongues was something that the church believed to be valuable. Now in verse 1 to 5, Paul, in response to Corinthians' perspective, argues that tongues spoken in the church are not as helpful as they think because the church's priority is to be built up. The church's priority is to be built up, but speaking in tongues does not build up the church. We can see the first five verses are comparisons between prophecy and speaking in tongues. And through the comparison, Paul is emphasizing that the importance of building up the church. Prophecy is a greater gift comparing to speaking in tongues. Verse 1 writes, Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And each verse that comes after is a comparison showing that prophecy is the better gift. Verse 2 to 3 for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to man but to God, for no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Also in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And verse 5 is even more direct. Paul writes, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Now the message is very clear. Prophecy is the better gift. It is better than tongues. But the key to this passage is the question, why? Why is prophecy the better gift? Now it is because the priority of the church is to be built up. And the gift of prophecy does that. It helps the church to build up. Now we look back to verse 3, it says, The one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And also verse 4 says, Prophecy builds up the church. And even if you look at the end of verse 5, when tongues are being translated, it's for the purpose so that the church may be built up. So Paul is teaching us here that the purpose for churches gathering is for building up, and the gifts are being just practiced within the church are for the purpose of achieving that goal. So in comparison between prophecy and tongues, prophecy is helping the church to build up, but not tongues. So if building up the church is so important, then we must understand what it means to build up the church. What does it mean to build up the church? To build up the church is a very imagery, language used in the Bible, describing a process for a church uh, transforming to a more complete condition. And what is that complete condition? So for the church to build up or to be built up, 
is for believers to become more like Jesus Christ. For the church to build up is for believers to become more like Jesus Christ. We can find similar content written by Paul in the letter of Ephesians, where Sure, just read earlier in scripture reading, talking about the purpose of the church. In chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Paul explains that each role of the church with his spiritual gift is for building up the body. Christ gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. If you read on, to verse 15, Paul clarifies the definition of building up. He writes, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. And we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. The Him here refers to Jesus Christ. Thus for church to build up is for each member to be more like Christ. To be more like Christ is to act and think like Him to carry his characters, and to obey his commands. There's a phrase that brings this idea to a point um, in 2 Corinthians, where Paul calls believers to be ambassadors of Christ. To be ambassadors of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 14, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. For a church to be built up is for each member of the church to mature spiritually and to display Christ in their lives. So the implication here is when the church is built up, there should be a strong presence of Christ among the congregation. When anyone outside of the church come and visit, they can witness Christ through our behavior. And this is not only Paul's desire for Corinthians, it's also God's desire for all of his churches including WSBC. We ought to be a church that prioritizes each individual's spiritual growth. We should be a church that when others come and visit, they can witness who God is through our behavior. Now when we gather, when WSBC gather, we should also pursue the spiritual growth of other members. We should seek to build up our own church. And how can we do that? How can we build up our church? Is it through finding better hotels, better place to meet? Or is it through serving better coffees, drinks, or snacks? I don't think so. My encouragement for all of us is to be more intentional in caring about others' spiritual condition. To take the chance when we meet, when we gather, to genuinely ask others, how they are doing spiritually. Ask them, how is their walk with God? How is your relationship with the Lord? There might be a moment of awkward silence, but don't doubt yourself. This is a great question, and I will argue that this is the most proper question to ask in the church. Because there are plenty of places where we can go where people focus on our physical health or emotional well-being, but the church is the only place where people care about your souls. Sharon and I now visit hospital every month to check if she and the baby are doing okay. 
And it is quite amazing to see how detailed the tests are in the hospital. You do ultrasounds, blood tests, and every other kind of test that I don't know the name of. But all these tests are to make sure that in every way that the mother and the baby are healthy. But no matter how advanced the technology is or how experienced the doctor and the nurses are, the care that they can provide remains at the physical level. They can only care about our physical body. But the church should be a place where people care about each other's souls. And for Christians, the most loving things to do is to help each other secure their love for Jesus and to encourage each other to continue to fight against their own sin. So brothers and sisters, if the will of God is for others around us to grow, then let us do that. Let us do that by caring for each other's souls. Now we know that prophecy is the better gift because it builds up the church. But we can continue to ask the question, why? Why does prophecy build up the church but not tongues? Now from verse 6 to verse 19, we can see that because prophecy reveals the knowledge of God, but tongues only utters mysteries that no one understands. And the church is built up through understanding of God's word. The church is built up through understanding of God's word. We have to understand that both prophecy and speaking in tongues are about delivering God's word. By definition, prophecy is declaring or speaking the revelation of God. And for anyone who prophesies, they are declaring what God has spoken to them. They will be prophets, which literally means spokesmen of God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12 writes, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the power of Holy Spirit. It is very clear that for anyone who prophesies, he is speaking God's word by the power of spirit, not man. Now similarly, speaking in tongues is also delivering God's message, but in a foreign language. It is the ability to suddenly speak a language that the speaker has not learned, a foreign language that's not from his local place. The phrase speaking in tongues is not something that people would say in their normal daily lives. So many may think that speaking in tongues is a mysterious superpower uh, that is some kind of strange experience that is outside of our normal life. But the word tongue, or glossa in Greek, in the context of the phrase means languages. Tongues means languages. So speaking in tongues can also be translated to speaking in languages. And the gift of tongue is not only about suddenly speaking another language. It is about the message of God. Acts chapter 2 records a detailed incident of the early church members who were being filled with the Spirit and suddenly start to speak in tongues. And the witness of the tongue responded in Acts chapter 2 verse 11 saying that we hear them telling our, in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We hear them telling us in their own in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. So both prophecy and tongues are revelations from God. But in the context of the Corinthians, only prophecy is beneficial because it reveals knowledge. 
tongues that were spoken by Corinthians were languages that no one understood. And Paul argues that this is not building up the church when they speak strange languages. He writes in verse 6, If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So this verse suggests that tongues are opposite of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. If tongue is being spoken, then there is no understanding. There's no learning. And also in verse 7 and 8, Paul uses two illustrations to explain the meaningless, the meaninglessness of speaking in tongues to the church. If you speak language that no one understands, you are playing flute or harp without distinct notes. You are just making sounds, not music. Verse 8 makes a similar illustration with bugle not making distinct sounds, which fail to send signals for battle. If you look into verse 9 to 11, Paul addressed to the Corinthians saying that if your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, then it is meaningless thinking in a perspective of the hearer. It is like speaking to a foreigner. And also in verse 12, Paul summarizes this part of the argument saying, So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So it shows that tongues practiced within the church do not serve the purpose of building up the church. Paul is saying that if you truly want to display the power of the Spirit in you, then pursue for the growth of the church. Seek what is beneficial for the church instead of speaking in tongues. Now Paul is not trying to belittle the importance and the value of speaking in tongues. He is emphasizing the importance of knowing God's word and understanding God's word. Paul knows the value of the tongues. In verse 22, he acknowledges that later in the passage that there is a purpose for tongues. It's for outsiders. It's for unbelievers. In chapter 12, when he first began to address the topic of spiritual gift, Paul said that all gifts are valuable. All are from the one spirit. Tongues are valuable, but in, in this context, it is not because the Corinthians are misusing them. Just like the example of flute, harp, or bugle, uh, which are instruments itself has great value, but misusing them, misusing these instruments, produce meaningless sounds. So Paul's intention here is to emphasize the importance of understanding God's message. While the verses from 13 to 19 continue to compare prophecy and tongues, it now puts more emphasis on the importance of understanding God's message. Verse 13, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So even if tongues are spoken, then at least there should be interpretation so that the speaker and the listeners can understand God's message. So it expands from verse 14 to 15, uh, first talking about speaker should seek understanding. It writes, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. The mind represents a person's consciousness and reasoning. If the mind is unfruitful, it means the message is inconceivable by the speaker. He has not much to think about, not to mention helping others. So what shall he do? 
he should seek understanding. That's why verse 15 writes, I pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So the speaker should seek understanding for himself. And second of all, tongues are also unfruitful for listeners. Verse 16, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Now for Christians to say amen, it means so be it as an agreement to the prayer or any statement being made. But when the words are not being understood to the listener, there's no way to agree upon what is being said. There's no encouragement or edification. Therefore, one requirement that must be met is that the message of God must be intelligible and understandable. In verse 18 and 19, Paul concludes, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, this is the summary for Paul's arguments here. Paul, who has the gift of tongues, understands what is valuable for the church. He wants the church to know what matters the most is clear and understandable instructions. Now, in response to this passage, and also to the context of our current church environment. I think it is important for us to think about how to handle God's messages when it's delivered through prophecy and tongues. There are many arguments and debates around these two gifts. Even two of my favorite Pastor Johns disagrees with each other. Uh, now, there are people around the world who proclaim to be messengers of God. They will speak intelligible as well as unintelligible words. And this is something that we have to watch out. So how should we process or make sense of these claims when people say that they are prophets, when people are speaking in tongues? I think there are two important aspects of God's word that we should remember, that we should know. Two aspects. One is that the message must be intelligible. This is something is very clear as we have just read. The message must be intelligible, must be understandable. No one should feel missing out or inadequate when he or she hears foreign languages proclaimed to be God's message in the church. Now, unintelligible words, let it be true tongues or not, have no value within the church. It is not for believers. Foreign language being preached in the church is a misuse of the gifts. Now, second of all, the message must be true. The message must be intelligible, but message must also be true. And this applies to prophecies or interpreted tongues. The message of God should always be accurate and consistent. His words do not contradict each other. But even though God's word is always true, people who proclaim to be his messengers can often be false. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 warns us. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, 
even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destructions. So there will be false teachers. There will be false prophets. So to make sure that God's message is true, that the message is truly from God, we need to test it. We need to test it. Take example of prophecy. The scripture encouraged believers to test prophets and the prophecy in three ways. First of all, we have to test the predictive accuracy of the message. If the prophecy is about prediction and it predicts the future to reveal something that is unknown, then we should put it to the test to make sure that it becomes true. This is an instruction from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22. It says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So if it did not come true, then that's not word of God. And that is not a prophecy. And the second point is theological consistency. Theological consistency. If we read on later to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, it says, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So Paul knows that if a message delivered by a prophet it should be consistent. There should be no contradiction to what has already been written in the scripture. So there should be consistency in theological perspective. And the third point is another, is another level of consistency, and that is applying to the prophet, the message, and the life he lives. So it's, it is the integrity of the prophet, the consistency between what he proclaims and the life he lives out. There are false prophets who have no consistency between their message and their lives. They claim to speak the words of God, but live a life that pleases the devil. Jeremiah chapter 23 writes, In the prophets of Samaria I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, that says the Lord of the host concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into the land. And continues to say that thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Now these are the words of false prophets. It is inconsistent with God's word. And the integrity of the prophet is even more important than the accuracy of the prophecy. 
It writes in Deuteronomy chapter 13, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arise among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord of your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your souls. So that is very important to know that even if the prophecy comes true, we still need to test the integrity of the prophet because that is more important. Not just with prophecy, the same principle can also be applied to tongues. Tongues are just message of God being preached in another language. So after interpretation, the same principle can also be used on tongues. Tongues are messages about God proclaimed by a person. So you can still test it with the accuracy of the prediction, the theological consistency, and also the integrity of the messenger. Now we know the priority of the church is to be built up, and also the church is built up through understanding God's word. Now coming to the last main point of our message, the passage shows us that the church is responsible for knowing God's word. The church is responsible for knowing God's word. Starting from verse 20, the Corinthians are called to be mature. Paul says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. I believe the maturity that Paul is calling the church to attain has to do with a certain level of knowledge in God's word. This aligns with other callings in the New Testament for believers to be mature. Ephesians 4 writes that the church has the responsibility so that all may attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and to measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that believers may no longer be children, no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So immaturity spiritually means people are easily affected and influenced by false doctrine. Also Hebrew chapter 5 writes, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So therefore an aspect of spiritual maturity is being skilled in the word of righteousness. It is knowing the basic principles of the oracles of God. So Paul is challenging the church to be skilled in God's word. That is why he continues in verse 21 and 22, referring back to the Old Testament, writing about tongues. Paul is saying that this is something the Corinthians should have known. It is written in the law, in the Old Testament, that the tongues are for unbelievers and prophecy for believers. And the reason for Paul to call the church to mature or to be skilled in the word of God is because the knowledge gained from the word would help the church to act according to God's will. The knowledge gained from the word would help the church to act according to God's will. And the lack of knowledge in the word leads to confusion and disorder. 
Paul gives an example in verse 23 saying that if the church does not know the purpose of the tongue, which is for unbeliever, and gathers together speaking strange languages, then no one is really communicating with each other. They're just saying words, not caring about if others understand or not. If outsiders came and visited the church, they would think that the church is out of her mind. She's mad or even insane. And that is not how the church should be presented. The church is meant to present Christ. If the church knows God's word, then God would be glorified. And that's the example of verse 24 and 25. If the church understands God's design for the gifts and act according to his design, which it says, but if all prophesies, as it writes in verse 24, meaning that all prophesying as they gather, then in that case, the believers would be encouraged. And unbelievers who hear the word of God being proclaimed would witness the power of God's word and be convicted. And falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that he is really among us. So I believe Paul's challenge for the Corinthians is also a great instruction for our own church. We are responsible for being equipped with the knowledge of God's word. I think it's been a long time since WSBC had a full-time pastor. It may seem like we lack, quote-unquote, well-trained or professional seminary graduate teachers to help us gain biblical knowledge. Not to mention that we live in one of the busiest cities in the world. We do not have time to spend hours studying God's Word. But I believe the responsibility of knowing the Scripture should outweigh the limitations that we face. Not having trained seminary graduates or being busy with life cannot be excuses for our lack of knowledge. But these are obstacles that a church should overcome. When Paul challenged the Corinthians, he does not point to the elders of the church, but he addresses the entire church for not knowing the instructions of God. His calling is for all to be mature. His calling is for all to be mature. The responsibility to know God's word is for the church instead of any individual. So brothers and sisters, may I encourage and challenge all of us to go deep into God's word. We should go deep into God's Word. We can start with learning how to study the Bible. Not just to read the Bible, but how to study the Bible. It is important to know that Word of God is made of with words. And words make up reasons and logic. It should make us think deeply. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 writes, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. The word meditate means deep contemplation, pondering the word of the scripture, thinking deeply about the meaning and the application to life. So my encouragement to you is to meditate on God's word, to think deeply and to study it, so that we may grow from his knowledge. It is also important to remember that our study of God's word does not only benefit our own growth, but for the protection of the church, for the glory of God. I've heard a good example from John MacArthur saying that knowing God's word is like a good immune system for the church. 
If the church is well equipped with God's word, then when temptation or persecution comes, the church would be able to endure. Also, when we gain knowledge from the word, we will know more clearly about God's instruction and design for the church. Therefore, we can avoid situations that Paul mentions about the church misusing God's gift. In fact, if we act according to what we learn from his word, God will work through us, just as he worked through the church in verse 24 and 25. If the churches obey his order, outsiders would see the presence of God among his people. They will see a true church that presents Christ Jesus. Now, when we think of glorifying God, sometimes we may think it's something difficult, complicated. It's, it's something that is outside of our day-to-day Christian life, our Christian duty. But actually, it is not. God is glorified through our submission to Him. God is glorified through our submission to Him. But our submission must be based on correct understanding of His words. Otherwise, we are not representing Christ. And to understand God's word, it takes time, effort, and commitment. We shall conclude. In the beginning of the message, I introduced the main idea being God uses his word to build up his church. We see from Paul's writing that church's priority is to be built up or to grow into Christ-likeness. And church's growth come from the word of God, come from us understanding the word of God. And we saw that we have the responsibility of knowing God's word. Now we saw the importance of the church being built up I do think it's also important for us to understand that this is a process. There's a famous saying that Rome wasn't built in a day. It implies that great things take time to be built. Now, in the same way, the growth of a church does not happen overnight. We need to have patience. We need to be wait for our church to grow. In fact, it is not our, in our own control how and when the church shall grow. If you still remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul explains that he planted the church. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. Therefore, the work of building up the church is God's work. He is the one who builds up the church. We do not get to control our own spiritual condition or the spiritual condition of the church, but as a believer, we are called to obey. We are taught to be responsible of knowing God's word. And we are commanded to care for one another. That is what we need to do. The rest will be taken care by God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your instructions. We thank you for your word that guides our life, that saves our soul. Lord, we pray that you may work among us, you may be with us, that your word will be in our heart that we may meditate on it day and night, so that our life may live out like Christ Jesus, that when others see our lives, that they may see less of our own, but they see Christ Jesus, our Savior, who has saved our souls. Lord, we pray that as WSBC continues, that we may grow, that we may be more obedient to your word, and that we may become wiser, and that we may glorify you better. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.